reading your book, Chuck. We'll get to the name of the book. What's the name of the book? You tell us. Why employees are Why employees are always a bad idea. Wait, is he is he on it? Can anyone hear him? Can you hear Chuck? Yeah, I can hear him. Okay. It, it, he's anyway. a, he's a bit quiet. Yeah, he's a bit quiet. Thank you, Michael Cox. Someone tells the truth at least, okay? On this show. His book, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea, I read it, and what it made me think of was The Age of Aquarius. So that's what we're going to sing, Chuck. I know you remember it. You can't tell me you don't like every other guest does. We're just going to sing the part, This is the Dawning of the Age of Aquarius, The Age of Aquarius. Okay? You ready? I'm ready. Yeah, I'll go one, two, three. We'll see Maureen can sing. She remembers it. Okay. One, two, three. This is the dawning, the dawning of the age of Aquarius. The age of Aquarius. Aquarius. One more. Aquarius. Okay, look, I, I don't have time to talk too much about the background of his book, but the reason I said that is, you know, this guy is some kind of beatnik who idealizes the pre-industrial age, demonizes the industrial era that we grew up in, and he sees the kingdom of God coming in the very near future. In fact, he says, just like Jesus did, it's right here already. Yeah, and getting a regular paycheck. That's no good. That's for the squares. That's what his book's all about, okay? Am I right, Chuck? Yeah, you're in the ballpark. Keep going. Yeah, see, at least he tells the truth. (laughs) Okay, but here's the first question I'm going to ask you. You can respond to that if you want. But the question I'm going to start off with is, what is culture? Do you want to have a little preamble and tell us what you do in 30 seconds? You know, I, I'm a rabid individual, a rabid uh, uh, entrepreneurial type. I've done about eight or ten businesses, and I've got a business here in the U.S. that helps business owners build their business, and we've got one in the Congo to help solve poverty. So that, that adds to your beatnik thing. But, but I'll tell you, I'm actually a hardcore uh, fire-breathing capitalist. So I wouldn't be doing this stuff. Culture is really simple. You don't. Uh, culture is simply what you believe. You don't create culture. You simply live out what you believe. What you believe comes out in the forms of your everyday practical, in the ground, on the, in the trenches decisions, and the accumulation of all those decisions is your culture. That's it. Yeah, that was really vague, okay? Look, first of all, what kind of phone are you on? Uh, it's a really nice iPhone 6. I knew it. I told Uh-oh. you don't call on a mobile phone. I told you don't call on a mobile phone, okay? Now, look, what about, you know, what I, I about... Live, I, I live in the age of Aquarius. I don't have a landline. <laughs> yeah, 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 we know that now. Okay, look, Chuck, listen. First of all, you know what kind of capitalism you believe in? Tom Hayden, at the early 70s, he switched from whatever he was doing before, and he started espousing pizza capitalism, kind of a a mom-and-pop level capitalism, and that's the kind of capitalism you believe in. uh, I'll tell you a little more about uh, Chuck's vision of the world. I know everybody has seen that Christmas movie with Donna Reed and uh, Jimmy Stewart. What's the name of it? I can't think of it all of a sudden. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, wonderful life. There's good people in the world and there's bad people in the world. And they can both be in the same business and the two different businesses will be completely opposite. You got Mr. Potter, who's a a banker. He's a bad guy. He only wants to grow at the expense of other people. Then you got George Bailey. He's a banker, but he's a good guy. He wants to help people build homes. That's what Chuck is all about. Chuck is George Bailey, and then the big companies, the corporations, they're Mr. Potter. Although one thing I don't understand, in his mind, uh, Bill Gates is Mr. Potter, and Steve Jobs, that maniac abuser, he's uh, George Bailey in uh, in, in Chucky world, you know? You want to talk about that? Are you, done? Are you done yet? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so... So let, let me modify that just to stoke to bring it back into reality. Uh, I think that everybody can be an industrialist or everybody can be a capitalist and it has nothing to do with your side. You can have three people working in your business and you can be a be a, a, a user industrialist 
who has no interest in the in the welfare of the people or his own business, but just making money. Or you can be a giant corporation and be a really good capitalist like Steve Jobs was. Steve Jobs said, I didn't get up in the morning and think about uh, who I could kill or, or uh, what world I could dominate or how much money I could make. I got up in the morning thinking what cool technology I could build next. That's a capitalist. Bill Gates gets up in the morning, or at least he did for 30-some years, and said, who can I kill? That's an industrialist. And so you can do that at any level, any size of it. Okay. Listen, let's just go I back. I just to wanted to share that I already love your guest, and I couldn't be more in line with him. This is, this is the true definition of capitalism versus humanism, the the libertarian school that never made it of Robert Anton Wilson as opposed to the yeah, Ayn okay, Randian. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Well, we had enough speech-making, including mine, okay? <laughs> but, but here, here, culture. What about this, Chuck? Culture, it isn't... <laughs> Formal or informal means of communi- rules about communication. It isn't time expectations. It isn't the methods of resolving conflict. Uh, uh, the the defined processes at work. How you how you approach your job. It isn't the communal activities. The the rules about socializing in the office. None of those things are culture. No, not if you do it right. I can show you a company with three thousand stakeholders, billion dollar corporation. That has not has no HR department and not a and doesn't have a single written policy, and they went from four million to a billion dollars a year and seven billion in assets because the the founder who is a hardcore fire breathing capitalist founded the company on this nonsense. I built this company so that everybody here could find their own personal destiny. What a bunch of woo woo crap. Four million uh, went from zero to one billion dollars in thirty years, and uh, and without a single written policy because he knows what he believes, and he built his company on two fundamental beliefs, and he let the company go from that. And it's one of the best examples of capitalism I could ever come up with. Yeah. Okay. Let's move it down to our level. You say you have to write down your beliefs. You got to clarify your own beliefs about your business, I guess or life, or whatever, and then write them down. Is that, and you say most small companies would not see the value in writing down what they believe, which has a lot to do with why they aren't successful. Want to give us an no, example exactly. of that? Yeah, they, they, think that's, uh, they think that's giant corporation stuff that you do just to, to put in your annual review. The fact is everybody believes something about work, business, what a business is, what their business is, what leadership is. How to how to work in the world around them? What impact they want to have, if any? They, everybody brings beliefs to work, and the problem is that we don't live our lives work at work consistently with those beliefs because we never write them down. So we get into situational ethics. We hire people who are really skilled who just won't get along with us, or we we get involved with vendors or customers who are bad fits because we don't. We're just going to violate what we believe when it's Give us an example. For the moment. Example. Example. Example, please. Sure. Uh, a, 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 a company here in Denver, 39 people. The founders, uh, 20 years worth of work. These guys had never taken more than two weeks off in 20 years. Not two weeks a year. Two weeks in 20 years, the two founders. 39 people, $9 million company. And they invested all their time in in telling everybody what to do around them. Two years later, after they decided they'd had enough of that crap, they turned themselves into capitalists instead of industrialists. They've turned everybody loose. They said, we're no longer going to stop. We're, not, we're no longer going to watch you. We're going to put you into a results-based environment, and we want a result, and you, and you go do it. And two years later, the company's at $16 million. The uh, The company now has 70 people from 39. And the founders now take four months off every year each. Okay, but what That's beliefs did they write works. down? How, how long, how many beliefs they did down, they have to write? They wrote down six beliefs, and they, re- they really only need two. The number one belief that they switched from was people are stupid and lazy to people are smart and motivated and actually want to contribute to something bigger than themselves. And number two re- one was, therefore, they are all, we are going to work with adults we're going to we're going to require that everybody be an adult. We will not put up with children, which is synonymous with employee. Anybody who wants to be an employee here, uh, we're going to fire your ass. We're going to we're going to look for adults who want to be self-managed, self-directed, 
and figure out what they want to do and get it done. And those two major beliefs change the company. And that's the okay, two so fundamentals take, that everybody has to start with. Okay, let me take a step back. I didn't give Chuck the, the proper uh, introduction. Chuck Blakeman is our guest today. On Twitter, he's at Chuck, B-L-A-K-E-M-A-N. Chuck Blakeman, what's the name of your company, Chuck? Crankset Group. Crankset Group. Crankset yes. Group. And the URL is cranksetgroup.com? That's correct. Okay. How many books have you written? Well, I've written uh, three that are published, and I've got uh, a couple more in the can. Okay, and he spoke at TED. I guess you guys know that better than me because I was off the air for a little while. Uh, and uh, I just want to clarify some of your beliefs, again, very briefly, without going into politics too much. You you call industrialists are business people who use uh, modern technology. Uh, their goal is not to create something exciting and uh, that they believe in. It's just to control other people and expand the business so they can puff up their own egos, right? Industrials have the same motivation as politicians. They're not greedy. That, that's something the little guy is. If you want to sell a, a, a gasoline can in a hurricane for 20 bucks, that's greed. But the big guys are not pushed by that. They're pushed by power. I want to put that to the side, okay? I just You're using this terminology I want people to understand. And, and yeah, so an industrialist, industrialist is, a, is someone who's seeking power and is using the world around them for the sole purpose of, of, of controlling as much of the world as they can. A capitalist okay, is figuring out how they can benefit the world. Yeah, doing something that they believe in, that they're excited by. And an employee is someone who works for an industrialist. Because an industrialist just wants to turn his staff uh, or her staff into tools. Uh, and uh, a capitalist employs stakeholders, right? Those are people who are yes. self-motivated, right? Yeah, so there's industrialists use the model. Okay, there's industrialists versus capitalists and uh, employees versus stakeholders. So that's your uh, view of the world. So it's important that people know that. So you're and also managers see- versus leaders as well. Okay, but we'll get managers, to that later. Managers are obsolete. Okay. I want to get to vision statements and mission statements. So we started, you have to write your beliefs down. Then even if you're a small company, write a vision statement and a mission statement, right? Yeah, even more important for them. If there's two people in a company and you hire a third one and you don't know what you believe and they do, guess whose culture you've got? You've got that third person. So you need desperately to write down your vision for your business and your life and your mission statement for your business and your life. You need to know what you believe. It's more okay, important so for a two-person business than for a 2,000-person okay, business. And this is going to be really important just for people who want to know because when he writes an ad for a job, he puts all this stuff in there, like around four pages long. And you, you know, if you're interested in working for him, you have to wade through this stuff before you get to any kind of application. So a vision statement is uh, a vision of what you want your company to become, and a mission statement is about what you do for your customers. Are, are we okay with those definitions? Got it. Love it. Okay, great. Okay, now your particular culture, do you want to define that for us? I mean, um, like how, how easy is it to define a culture? Uh, you can't define a culture. You have you can only define beliefs. And what we believe, I can tell you what we believe. We believe every what 80%, 81% of the workforce actually wants to be adults at work and don't need to be managed. And uh, our culture is one where we believe that our company exists to help everybody there fulfill their own personal destiny, just like Ricardo Semler, the company I talked about earlier that I didn't name, Semco. Okay. And sounds so, like, uh, sounds like crap, I know. Okay. And, and who was it? Terry Semler was running Yahoo before Marissa a little while? Yes. And you think he's a transformational leader? No, I, I would go with uh, I would go with Ricardo Semler as a transformational leader and, and uh, Marissa Meyer as the single worst CEO I've ever known. Oh, really? Wow. Okay, we'll oh, get to that. Mine, yeah. Okay, so so your culture. So when now when you were um, when you okay when you you said you don't recruit, but obviously you you put ads out looking for people, right? Well, we put an ad on Craigslist, which is a really terrible place to put an ad, but it's just a placeholder. And then we do go out on social media with all our friends and tell them to push everybody to that ad. Okay. 
So you 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 says it say in your book that you specialize in placing ads in places for free. Sometimes you'll use a pay site, but not too often. So Craigslist is your is your preferred choice. And then you've got a, a network that's big enough to send people there. Is that right? Yeah, you know, we don't want to fish in just the shallows, and that would that's what Craigslist would be. The only people looking there are people looking for jobs. So we we go out on all our networks and with all our people, and we push people to that site. Okay, so if, if someone wasn't as popular, if someone didn't have as many connections as you, where should they put their ad? Well, they're going to have to put it somewhere where people who already have a job are looking, wherever that would be, Monster, other places, uh, LinkedIn, uh, where people already have a job and they're not looking, those are the people you want more than anybody for obvious reasons. Okay. Now, what goes into your uh, your ad? Because I thought it was pretty interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, our ad has traditionally been five to seven pages of a Word document single space. We just put one out uh, yesterday for a new person, for our chief hospitality officer. Everybody who works with us is a chief. And that ad just expanded to 10 pages, single-spaced Word document put out on Craigslist. And and we put everything we can think of as uh, who we are as a company. The first three or four pages are not about the job, it's about us as a company. Because if you don't care about us as a company, we don't want you as a stakeholder. And then the, and then we describe the, the stakeholder and the kind of person we want there. And then we describe our culture, and then we give you all our websites. So hold on a second. Your goal, your goal, kind of your goal in putting all that stuff there is that you it's going to separate the sheep from the goats. It's sort of like uh, uh, recruiting Darwinism. You figure only the people who are actually interested in what you're saying are going to read that much stuff. Is that right? And you'll weed out. Your goal is to weed out anybody who won't really be attracted by you from the very start. Is that correct? Here's, yes. Here's the simple, profound truth. Employees want a job. Stakeholders want work. Employees won't do work to get a job. They just want a paycheck. Stakeholders will do the work before they ever get the job because they actually want to make meaning, not just money. So one of the biggest things we found out doing this is we scare away 80% of the people looking for a job, maybe even 90% looking for a job, they get scared away just by reading the ad. And only yeah, the people who want work will actually work enough to read the joke ad. Okay, but what surprised me was when I was reading a book was that you get like 100 people responding to your ads. Uh, uh, if you're looking for a highly qualified person like recruiters look for regularly, are there 100 people that are you know going to be easily moved to take a look at it who are you know properly skilled? What kind of people are we talking about here? Well, I mean, for the most part, we actually have to put the ad out two or three times. The one we put out yesterday was for an admin position. If you put that on Craigslist, you have to hold your finger over the, the stop key because in, in two hours you're going to get 150 resumes. We're going to get probably 30 resumes in two weeks, and then we're going to put it out again. We'll get another 15 or 20 because it, it does cut the noise way down to, to next to nothing. So we actually get very few returns on this on this uh, kind of process. And the people we get are usually, again, the people that are excited about our culture, excited about the fit, excited about the the, the whole thing and, and being able to be in the Okay, let me, let, me, and, let me let me try. I, you know, I'm a bit odd. You know, here we have a published author. He speaks to lots of people. He's on the Recruiting Animals show. And I start off with, you know, silence. I screw up the technology. But let me interrupt you, just like I would interrupt <laughs> Anybody else, and keep you on track so we can actually learn something. What do you put in that document? What do you say that these people are going to find interesting to read? Can you give us just a, a few sentences, an example? Yeah, we describe we describe what we do as a company. Uh, we, we describe our culture, and we put in there, one of the things we would, would put in there is the acceptance letter. Here's a three-page acceptance letter you will get from us. Here's what vacation is like. There isn't any. It's unlimited vacation. Here's what uh, your pay is like. It will be results-based. Here's what your 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 uh, your promotions will be look, look like. There won't ever be any. You come in at the top. Nobody ever gets promoted. Uh, we have uh, no work hours, unlimited vacation, uh, profit sharing. Uh, uh, nobody works for anybody. No one will ever manage you. So that's one of the things in the acceptance letter is that if you, if, if you plan to work here, Plan to be self-motivated and self-managed. No one will ever motivate you. No one will ever manage you. If you're not doing your work, we'll fire your ass. And so we just go through a list of these kinds of things. Uh, that that uh, There's no department. 
we might have three different people doing IT stuff and five different people doing marketing stuff who also do IT stuff. We just have people doing what they're good at. Okay, so if you wanted to, if no, 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 listen, I, we've only got limited time now since I wasted so much at the beginning. And if people are actually listening to this and wondering, you know, is that for me? Can I hire good people that way? How can they find an example uh, on online? Just go to Craigslist and look up Crankcase, Crankset rather. But if you want to go to Craigslist and look up uh, Chief Hospitality Officer, we got an ad out there right now, ten pages. Okay. Now, you said, i got to tell you, I have and a Facebook crankset group. Yeah. Crankset group. Okay, crankset-group.com. Sorry about Denver. that. Okay. Denver. Okay. Now, Denver. now you, you had a line that I, I modified, modified a bit. It was in your book. It was very popular on Twitter when I published it, and it was also popular on my Facebook group. Resumes are obituaries, and they're nearly useless. You want to talk about that a bit? Because you don't want people... With, when they respond to your ad, if they send a resume, they're ruled out. Is that correct? Yeah, we don't even open the email. We just deleted if there's a resume clause because we we told them in the ad we didn't want that. And if they can't begin, if they can't even start as a self-managed adult at doing following simple instructions, then you know we're not going to go any any farther. So we put in there instead answer these seven culture questions. If they answer the seven culture questions, then we'll push them one step farther. About step seven, six or seven, we actually do get resumes. But the only reason we get them is to follow up on what we already know and and, uh, and use them to, to do some sleuthing investigation, like how many jobs have they hopped? Is there punctuation as in this? Do they make outrageous claims? We don't use them for the, real, the reason everybody else does because the only things you get out of a resume is skills and experience. And those are the two things we don't hire for. We hire for culture first, then for talent, and uh, beliefs, and and lastly, for skills and experience. If people tout their skills and experience, uh, especially like things like education, we just you know what? Let me. I told you, I'm going to interrupt you. Let me interrupt you, please. Okay. Now, first of all, you do hire for skills and experience. You need people with skills and experience, but the first thing you only want the people with the skills and the experience who also match your culture and who also have a talent so they can, you know, learn new things as well. But we'll get to that. So with these resumes, you know, so with your ad, you're saying you don't want a resume, but you want them to, to answer these culture questions. Give us an example of those culture questions. But let me ask, does anybody find the questions I'm asking interesting? I, I want to know his actual process, not too many philosophical or historical or social, social uh, issues. Uh, is it okay with the people who are on the line? Hello? Can yes. anyone hear me? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Am yeah. I on the right track? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what okay. do you ask so them? What, Chuck? Yeah. What, what questions do you yep. ask them to answer? Well, the first question we would ask is something like, how does, after reading an ad like this, how would you fit in? Uh, what, what are the seven things you could bring to this? What could we do for you to make you more successful? What do you need from us to make you more successful? What do you want in the long term? What do you want out of life? What do you want out of this job or this position and out of life in general. What, what are you shooting for? So they don't sound much like culture questions, but what we're listening for is how they respond. And employees will say things like, what are your benefits? And stakeholders will say things like, holy crap, where do I sign up? Uh, I want, I, 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 this is a place where I could actually make meaning. That's what I want to do here. And so that's what we're shooting for with these questions, uh, specifically how to get them to respond in a way that helps us understand their belief system about work. Does it match us? Do they believe that they should be self-managed, self-motivated adults? Okay, so you're essentially trying to get them to uh, to, to to say, yeah, I like what you've already said. That's they They have to say, when you say make meaning, you mean people who want to do something that's significant to them, that means something to them as opposed to just earning money. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. What about we people with to... young kids? What about people with young kids who have to, you know, pay a mortgage and stuff like that? Money's going to be very important to them. Are you going to be missing those people? No, because I think if we're doing this right, they will always make more money working for us than they would for anybody else with the same kind of job because we're a results-based environment, not time-based. You don't get paid for sitting in a chair for eight hours. You get paid for getting results. And if you can get 
you can get me eight hours worth of results in four hours. I don't care where you are, and I don't care when you are. And so we have a point. We have a, a mother with two kids right now working with us 25 hours a week, and she's gone work, work days, three or four hours every day. We don't care. She's getting the results we need, and she will make more money with us getting those results. Half of her pay is, is traditional compensation, and the other half is results-based, just like any sales job. We turn everybody into a sales position whenever possible. Everybody has at least a part of their compensation that is results-based. And as a result, they will all make more money with us than they would with anybody else in a comparable position. Okay, I want to give people some of your good lines. You will never get someone's belief system from reading a resume. Uh, the culture, But the culture piece is the single most important factor in hiring. The culture is the single most important factor in hiring. Resumes also never give you a feel for someone's innate talent. Now, talent is their natural ability to do things beyond whatever skills and experience they have. Is that right? Yes. How do you measure talent? How how can you tell? Well, this comes out in the culture questions. It comes out in the pre-interviews that we do. It comes out in the work we have them do. So we're looking for things depending on the on the job. We design every job, uh, every interview process based on the results required for that position. So if we want somebody who's highly detail oriented, then we want to look at the way they respond to the to the seven culture questions. Is there detail in those? Is there detail in the way they respond to the work required of them? Uh, if we want a sense of urgency, that's something you can't teach somebody. We might put a deadline on it so you have to respond in four hours. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do to, to to chase those things. If you want someone to to be a phone rep for you, why in God's name would you sit across from them at a desk saying, "Are you good at calling people?" We have them call us. Okay. And, and, yeah, and you have make them a point. Something. You make a point of not meeting anybody till the very end of the hiring process. But I just want to make that clear, right? You don't meet them till. Yes. Okay, and you only have short conversations with them online, and you make a point that you don't take direct referrals from anybody, from your staff or your friends. Somebody says, I got somebody good for you, Chuck. You say, just have them go through the regular process, right? Yep, yeah, and and we we hired a salesperson who was in step seven before he found out his name. He was already the leading candidate in the entire process. Turns out he's the son of our best friends back in Philadelphia from 15 years ago. They didn't play the best friend card and put him through uh, the special door. They threw him through with everybody else. The fact is, if he's, if he's all that good, he will come to the top. The problem with taking direct referrals, you end up doing courtesy interviews for Aunt Mabel's friend and, and believing that people are actually better than they are because, you, because uh, than they are because you love the person in, uh, referring them. There's all kinds of noise that comes with referrals that don't make any sense, and, and family referrals are the worst. Okay, now these questions to me, that was a great chapter, that chapter 14 in your book. So that's why, because they're nitty-gritty. You really tell us how you work. Is it okay if I keep asking you these questions? Yes. Okay, because it's different from, you usually like to talk about your historical views, okay? But for us, it's hands-on. We're recruiters. Does anyone have a question for Chuck so far? Quiet all of a sudden? Or maybe they're not here anymore? I don't know. Okay, ready? We'll keep going. Number okay. four. Don't okay. I said that. Don't meet people till very late in the process. What's the reason for that? Uh, because you'll you'll create biases that are unnecessary. Unless you're you're hiring a model or someone to do a TV show or something like that, you don't need to see their physical appearance. If you're hiring somebody to be a great phone rep and they weigh 28 pounds or 380 pounds, it doesn't matter if they have red hair or. No hair at all, it doesn't matter. And you will be biased by their personal appearance. So that's a last resort. It's something we would do at the last, at the final bell with someone is actually meet them personally. Okay, now that's running in the face of all the, you know, like culture is something these HR guys are talking about all the time now, but everyone is also pushing video interviews. Got to do them. Got to do them. You're against them, right? Yeah, I think uh, it's just it's part of the dehumanizing process of the manufacturing culture that we still live in. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't now, help. It's, it's funny. Now, you're uh, taking all kinds of precautions against bias, but our good friend Lori Rudiman says choosing someone for culture 
is just bias. That's all it is. And and actually, there's been HR people writing for a few years that uh, you know culture is against diversity. That you're just looking for people who are like you. You want to comment? That's, well, well, the, you know, yeah. And, and and what I wrote back to Lori was, uh, I invented contrarian. Contrarian is not a position. It's just marketing noise, and that's what she's involved in. She's got nothing to prove that with. Here's Here's the, the fact. You want to ask me who we've hired? We've hired gay people, uh, uh, married people, unmarried people, uh, sex creed. It doesn't matter. That's just that's just noise on the part of those people. You want to talk about bias? You're going to only hire people who have great skills and huge experience, and you're going to leave the person out who has incredible talent and unbelievable desire to do this, but can't get on board because they don't have the education. You, you use those stupid. Uh, uh, machine to go through and pull out keywords, and that's not biased. If somebody didn't go to Harvard, you're not interested. When when people tout their their education to us, we put them at the bottom of the pile because that means that tells us something about their culture and their understanding of work. We're very proud about hiring people and having having no idea of what their education background was. So we're interested in, in things that uh, you know every. Duh, it's all bias. You want to be biased in the, in, the, in, the, in the direction of skills and experience and hire people who won't get along, or do you want to be biased in the, in the direction of, of people who believe the things you believe about work? Not, this, isn't about, this isn't about do I believe that gay people are right or black people are bad. This is about do I believe that as an adult I can be self-managed and self-motivated at work, that work is a place where we can create meaning. People can go home at the end of the day and say, I did something significant instead of making 80 bucks. Those are the kind of beliefs we're talking about. So the people who rant against culture have no idea what they're talking about. And I'll go live on your show right now and say, give me any one of those people on a stage for an hour and I will shred them. <laughs> you know what? Your voice go for is it, not man. the book. Yeah, he's not the voice of a shredder. He doesn't sound like a shredder to me. Michael Cox is in charge of a of a, a recruiting department. Uh, a department I was just trying of, to encourage you because you don't on. like the, the the culture thing. Oh yeah, okay, I'll go with them. I'll be, but now the way the way he defines culture is is different. At least he's got a definition. Most people don't tell you what they mean. He means like everything, everything about work. <laughs> Is culture hey, for Hey, I'm right? going to interrupt you because this. I'm going to interrupt you because this is important. Anytime you walk into a company where there's eagles, pictures of eagles with fancy sayings under them, and and bouncy balls in the in the uh, meeting rooms, be immediately suspicious. That's someone who's trying to create culture, and and that that doesn't work. Again, culture is simply living out what you believe, and what these people believe sucks. And so what they're trying to do is create this false facade on top of it that, that allows them to get away with having a sucky view of the world, and that's wrong. That's not culture. That's just marketing. So does everybody in your company get along with each other? No. <laughs> no. I mean, we have personalities that don't that rub each other the wrong way, wrong way. They can hardly be in the same room with each other but they believe the same things about people and work and meaning and community. Yes, people should be able to work together and be teams. Does that mean everybody's going to play nice in the sandbox? No, this isn't kumbaya stuff. This is hardcore success strategy. Okay, so if they don't like each other, but they, st but they, still, um, they still decide on the same process, they, they believe in the same way of working. So how do those people... Since you said you really want to work with people you like, now you're saying you hire people who don't like each other. How do they work together? They've been screened for culture. Is that the glue that yeah. keeps them together? Yeah, and, and, and let me backtrack on that. If, you, if you've got a business of four or five people, they actually all have to like each other too. But we've got six, uh, six or seven full-time and 20 part-time now, and we got people who don't like each other, and they, they split up on the teams where – uh, the, te the the people they're with, the four or five or six people they're with, they all like each other, and the four or five people on the other team all like each other. But there may be people across teams who who would not work together. And, and uh, so yeah, you do have to in the in the microclimate of four or five people, you actually have to be able to get along and play nice in the sandbox. Okay, but, and but that's how you do it in a giant corporation. You got twenty thousand people. Uh, there are going to be all kinds of differences in personalities and and personal beliefs and that kind of stuff. And and they. 
they can get along just fine. Okay. Now, if you are in a big company and you get way more than a hundred resumes, I got a question resumes, real quick on that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alejandro. Look, go how, ahead. how do you how do you prevent people from being obstructionist in that case? You know, uh, Anne has an idea, and I really don't like I, Anne. So now I'm I'm going to block that idea from going forward because you know some sort of personal uh, grudge Politics. against her. Yeah. Something. Like, yeah. Sure. Exactly. How do you prevent that? Well, we can't do everything at once, but uh, we our our, our belief is that managers are a bad idea. They're the single worst idea that that uh, business has ever created. And what you just described was a manager. If we have self-directed work teams where there's ten people on a team and that guy doesn't like Anne's Anne or her idea and wants to block it, well, there's there's eight other people on the team, and uh, and if they put together put their heads together and decide they like Anne's idea. He can lobby against it all he wants, but he's going to be outvoted. So you give one manager that kind of power, and business stinks. That's why Dilbert is so successful. But if you give 10 people that thing, those kinds of nonsensical political things are going to be much more level. Does it still exist? Absolutely. But it's a lot harder for somebody to convince 10 people that Ann sucks than it is to go to the manager and get the manager on his side. So then it's about creating a consensus with you guys because, I mean, ultimately – You said it's results-based, right? Yeah, it is. But consensus is a bad idea. You'll never get anywhere with consensus. But it is democratic. So if you got a 6-4 vote, they go with the 6. And if there's 10 people and it could go 5-5 before they start the conversation, they elect someone to break the tie. So there's nothing uh, consensus about this. There is still hierarchy in a participation in these workplaces. It's just very much de-emphasized, and it's spread around the organization. Okay, but you don't okay. believe in a democr- thoroughly democratic organization. You're the boss, and people don't tell you how to run the company, right? Yeah, I don't believe it's possible. Uh, Ricardo Semler spent nine years uh, forcibly inserting himself as the benevolent dictator to take his industrial age company and bring it into the participation age. It took him nine years to get rid of all the managers. He fired 60% of them the first day he took over the company. It took him eight more years to get rid of the other 40%. And I guarantee you, if anybody wanted to take his very democratic workplace and turn it back into an industrial age world, he would jump right back in and put his thumb on it. That's a benevolent dictator. So so there is hierarchy in a, in a democratic workplace. And anybody who tells you there's not uh, isn't looking at the reality. Okay, let's go back to the hiring process, though. I just want to finish this before we get involved with the other questions. First of all, though, if a company, a large company, puts an ad out, especially during a recession, and they get tons and tons of applications. Well, first of all, you don't want people to do resumes because you say, well, they're using, they get so many applications, they need to sort them somehow. So they're using these uh, parsing, uh, ATSs, applicant tracking systems, that parse the resumes, looking for the keywords, and they pick out the people who have them. You say that's stupid. Is that right? Yeah, it's stupid and and uh, and as biased and as as uh, discriminatory as you can get. <clears throat> so okay. you, know, you have to create. If, if you don't take anything else from, out from this uh, this uh, time, sure. do the long ad. The long ad will scare off eighty percent of the people because they don't want work; they just want a job. And uh, do things that, that like Lori hates. We'll do what Zappos did. Zappos put together an environment where you actually have to go to that that site and muck around in that site and, and show your interest in the culture. And, you know, Lori's response is, hey, you know, what about somebody who doesn't have time for that nonsense? I don't want them. So you can weed people out in a, in a great environment. Semco gets, uh, Semco gets something like 300 resumes a day, and they figure out how to work through this stuff. So there's always a, there's always a, uh, an, an issue with any kind of process, but those are just bumps along the way. The easy way Mike is Cox. to just continue to make it hard to get a job. Mike Cox, still there? Yeah. Mike, yes. Michael Cox. Okay, you're a corporate recruiter. I don't know who else is on the line right now. You're a corporate recruiter. You're with a medium-sized company, not a huge company. Am I right about that? A small, like 500 total employees. Yeah, you're a division of a, even a big, much bigger company. Am I right about that? Yes. Yes. What do you think about what Chucky is saying? Uh, Be frank, yeah, you're honest. Yeah, I yeah. am honest. It, it sounds great. It sounds very difficult to try and implement. And I don't know, I think what we're doing is working pretty good. We've grown doubled in size in the past few years as well. So, And, and we're not doing this. I haven't found his uh, his job postings. I was curious to see that. 
I can send you one if you want to. If you want to email me at uh, uh, Chuck Chuck at TankSetGroup dot com, I'll send you a couple. All right, I'll, uh, I'll let me post let me fight back on that. Rockefeller grew really fast too. He took over ninety five percent of the oil industry. I wouldn't say growth is a good indicator of whether you got a nice culture or not. How do you how part. do you measure how do you measure a nice culture? Well, you measure you absolutely productivity and and profit is one of the measures, but it's okay. one of the measures. One of the other measures is uh, do people actually want to work there? At Semco, they have the yes. they make washing machines, pumps, and stuff like that. They have the highest productivity, the high, the fastest growth rate, the uh, the and and more 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 importantly, the lowest turnover rate in their industry. They their turnover is one to two one and a half percent a year. Three thousand people. 20, per, 20 people leave every year out of 3,000, and they have the highest profitability and the highest uh, uh, growth rate in their industry. So, so uh, capitalists, industrialists will look at, at uh, the revenue number, and a capitalist will look at the revenue and the turnover number because one of the reasons that Suncoast profitability is so high is that their turnover is so low. So you want to have a great uh, you want to have great profits. You need to get on. And people need to get on board with the idea that that people matter. Okay, so I want to get through your hiring process before because we're almost done. I, I really feel bad that I screwed up the beginning of the show. I apologize for that. Again, I'll cut that out as well. So we go into whatever you guys were talking about while it was dead silence during my uh, introduction. But uh, let's see. So you get to the stage where you've tested their skills because you do test their skills. Uh, You've had them reply to the culture questions. You tested the skills to see if they're talented. Then uh, you do a, a short phone interview at that point. Is that right? Five to seven minutes? Or ten minutes, yes, yeah, is, that, first, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we'll do a very short interview with them on the phone uh, or or in person if it's, if it's really important. If they're going to be customer-facing and it's really important that they, they mingle well with people on, in, a, in a human environment, then we will do the five- to seven-minute interviews uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in person. We'll, we'll okay, but what do you talk about? You don't, even have the, you don't even have the resume at this point, right? You meet them before you get the resume. Is that right? Uh, it depends on the hiring process. Again, we design a different hiring process for every job, but in some cases we already have the resume. In a lot of cases we already have the resume. Okay, because in the book you say do the interview. Point, hiring point number six, I think, was do the interview. Then seven is get the resume and the salary requirements. Never tell them yes. what you want to pay. Is that what you say? Yeah, because that will poison the well. We, we want them to say what would motivate you and, uh, and and we really mean that. What would motivate you over the next few years to want to dive in and be uh, all in on this person? We had a job, and give you an example. If, we, if you put the posting out there, you wreck this kind of stuff. We had a job posting that uh, really we only had about $35,000 a year for this, po- for this pe- position. We had somebody reply who was making over $100,000 a year, and they said, I need to make over $100,000 a year. That was good for us to know. We responded and said, well, we can't pay that right now. But here's what we will do over the next couple of years. We're going to give you, if you want to do this, if you're crazy enough to do this, we'll give you 35 or 38,000 to begin with. We'll give you a pay raise every month, and, and two years from now we'll have you at 70 or 80 in base pay, and uh, we, we want you to be at, at 100 plus in commissions by the end of that time. They took the deal because they loved the culture. That's why they took the deal. You know what? I'm just thinking while I'm talking. I remember recruiting a uh, how to recruit somebody. I'm a headhunter. How to recruit somebody for uh, a project manager's position uh, in the um, in the healthcare uh, industry, and they had to be strategic. That was one of the nobody even defined what what they wanted with the strategic, but that was an important part of the the job. I have to tell you, just getting people to go out there. And look at at this position. It was with a, a great company, etc. But just getting the people who already had good jobs to take a look at it was very hard. What you're making these people do to get to you, uh, you know what? Like you, what you said, uh, the statement you attributed to Lori, like they wouldn't spend the time doing it. I, I just can't see how we would get enough people to actually, you know, play with us on on this. That's what I'm thinking about. While My we're, question we're is. My question is, it's not that people don't have the time. It's about return on investment, right? So many people are jaded and feel burnt out that they feel, oh, this is a great job or a great company. I'm going to apply, and I never even hear back. 
So now I'm going to spend, I don't know, hours reading and crafting these uh, notes and all these different things for all these different positions. And now I've got this one 10-page document I've got to read. I, I don't know. How do you avoid pe- that pitfall? We've hard, but without the fail, has all because they weren't looking for a job. And everyone has been told this that somebody told them about this crazy ad, and they had to go read it. And they weren't looking for a job, but when they read the ad, they said, "Oh my God, that's me. That's a perfect match. I believe those things. I want to be in a company like that. How do I get in?" So it's about having a humongous network. No, no, I think no, I think it's about having a, a, the right culture where people will begin to want to work with you. So it's not a humongous network. You can have uh, a small network, but your your network doesn't have to be any different than it is for any other recruiting. I mean, the problem is the same for anybody. If you have a small network, then it's going to be harder to find good people either way. But this is going to be make it easier to find the best people, and they're going to pass this on much more than they are going to pass on a boring. Uh, third, you know, three-line ad that says "Come, come, stuff our envelopes." Nobody's going to pass that along. So we got a much better shot at getting uh, people this way, regardless of the size of your network. You're getting the great people. Okay, so then we're getting close to the end here. So, and then at some point, let me see. Uh, the next point after the short interview is a 45-minute interview with all the people they're going to work closest with. Is that right, or have an impact on? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's a company, uh, there's a company here in, in uh, Colorado, Crispin Porter, to ad agency. My daughter interviewed there. They're a good participation age company. And when she interviewed there five years ago, the first interview she had was a 45-minute interview with the receptionist. Then the receptionist sent her over to sales. Then the salesperson sent her over to marketing. Then mar- everybody that was going to touch the the relationship with my daughter did a 45-minute interview with her. She spent two days interviewing in that company she she was going to work in a certain department and that that department also interviewed her but again why would we hire people that nobody's going to be able to get along with who have great skills and experience we all know that doesn't work it might it, it, everybody's going to be miserable for six to 12 months it's like having rodney dangerfield join the company the golf club he did in uh, caddyshack he's a good golfer he had skills and experience but he was a bad culture match let's make sure that that this person actually fits in here before we hire them. And so let anybody, this is also a participation age principle. Decisions are made at the level or at, by those who are, are most likely to be affected by them. So the, the people who will work the most of this person will have the most decision-making power in this hire and on down as an hierarchy to the, to the, uh, 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 the guy running the phones. Uh, he's going to have a say in it too. Okay, and then how do you make the decision? Because number ten, after everybody has uh, has uh, talked to this person, the candidate or the three candidates, I think you shortlist them at that point. Yep. How do you make the final decision? And again, this is not a it's not a consensus environment. There is hierarchy. It's not it is democratic. But if if twelve people say they want the person and three people say they don't, and the the person who's going to work with them or the two or three people that are going to work with them the most really love them then they can ignore the three people. But, you know, if it's six and six or if it's seven and five, then they probably have to go back to the drawing board. But there are a few people who will make that decision, and in some cases it's just one person, very rarely. In my opinion, it should be two or three. So they get elected beforehand to be the tiebreakers and to be the final say. They gather all the information, they gather all the input, and then they make a decision based on what they've got. So it's 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 not just uh, a plain – it's not – for total consensus, and it's not just a simple, you know, uh, 50% plus one or 51% uh, majority. It has to be a large majority has to like the person. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think those rules you would set up before you did the hiring process. Okay, if we're going to have 10 people involved in this, what do we – What's our rule? If four don't you ever get to a hung three? jury? Do you ever get to like yeah, you've got you, you've got three good candidates? Because oh, yeah. you you say at this point we got everybody. When we get our short list, we know they're generally the right kind of person. They share the culture. They've got talent. 
and they've got the skills. So you've got three good candidates already. So let's say nobody can agree on them. You know, these six people like number one. The, they, they don't like number two. And, then they, you know, yep. it's, a, it's a different mix. What do you do? How do you do, break the tie? Or you just keep looking forever? Last year we, had, we, last year we started all over. Uh, we had it down to three. Nobody liked them. We put the ad back out. We did it all over again until we had at least a reasonable lopsided victory on one side of the thing. You know, no sense of urgency. It, it looks like you guys don't have to fill anything fast. Am I right about that? Oh, no. See, that? no, no, that, oh, absolutely we do. That's one of the biggest problems in recruiting, though. We all know this. The biggest problem in hiring is that people hire too fast. Okay, so we need somebody right now. You really want to live with the wrong person for the next 10 years? No way. If it takes us two months to hire the right person and we're crippled as a business for two months, we will be better off for eight years. Everybody is involved in short-term decision-making, and it's one of the worst ways to run a business. You've got to think about the long-term. Be willing to sacrifice the present for the future. So let's hear my, my last question. Let's say um, I can't, you know, I'm a, I'm a recruiter. I don't decide on, so, well, actually, someone like Mike who works inside, he might be able to determine the whole hiring process strategically. I'm a headhunter. I'm an external person. Let's say I'm recruiting for a company. I don't decide their process, but I go out looking for people. Uh, and when I, talk, but when I talk to my client, though, I want to find out what their culture is. Usually when I ask them, they don't know. They'll say something. Yeah. There's a guy I keep referring to. He says, work hard, play hard. Is that a culture definition? No. I don't have anything yes. to work with there. Yeah, no, that's a culture by definition. I have no idea what my culture is. Is a culture. This is the random home strategy of business. It's potluck. Nobody cares what the culture is. We can hire for skills and experience, and this is a great place for a recruiter to do business because the turnover will be a mess. So, yeah, hey, everybody has to hire a match, though. What should I ask my client, the hiring manager? Uh, tell me what you want. Uh, work hard, play hard. Uh, what does that mean? Like, what should I say to him? Pretend I have your to vision, give him Yeah. What's your vision statement for the company? Who knows it? Can the guy in the dock tell you what the vision statement is? What's your mission statement for, for the company? Who knows it? How does it impact the way you actually do business? Can you have one practical example of how your mission statement has, de has decided whether you build a copier or not? Uh, I can give you six or eight uh, questions like that. What do you believe? Do you have written beliefs as a company? How thick is your policy manual versus your written beliefs manual? You know, Semco's written beliefs manual is one page. Their policy manual is zero pages. That's all you need to know about Alejandro? Alejandro, still with yes, us? Yes, yes. What would you get if you started asking your clients questions like that? I would get nothing. I'm quite sure. What would you get? <sighs> I'd get a look. Shut up and find sure. the people. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. I, I asked that when I left the Marine Corps, I asked that of my first boss uh, in the private sector. I asked him, hey, what's our mission statement? He looked at me and say, to, said to make money. That was it. That's a culture statement. That's a belief system right there. You have an industrialist on your hand. He doesn't give a rat's ass about the, the, the people. It's all about the, the, the end result. And what he doesn't understand is he would make a lot more money if he didn't say that. If he so, said, so, uh, let's figure out how we make people successful. So you fire 90% of your clients that don't look at the world that way? Because that's what it well, sounds like. Because the, uh, I would argue that the overwhelming majority of people are looking at it from the opposite side of the aisle than you. Yeah, oh, no question. I think you're low. I think it's 95% right now. But I can tell you this. Uh, the, the conversations we're having, the reason I wrote the second book is because a blog post I, I wrote called Wine Plays Are Always a Bad Idea went viral. And I can tell you amongst the young people, they're not going to put up with this industrial age crap where they go to work just to make money. They're going to go to work to make meaning. And companies who adopt this are going to thrive, and those who don't will be left behind. In 10 to 15 years, mark my words, this is going to be a huge duh. People are, the industrialists are going to be losing because they don't, today, right now, they don't make as much money as people who pay attention to this. So there's, there's 30 companies in the, in the Fortune 500. There's, there's 30 companies in the Fortune 500 that, uh, that raised their hand and said, we're about making meaning not money. Those are the 10 fastest growing, in the, uh, 10 fastest growing companies in the Fortune 500. You want to, I would recruit for those people. It would be a lot more fun. Okay. Uh, Mike Mike uh, Cox, last question. Anything? Well, I was, it sounds as though the um, – well, one of the questions that I had seen on, on Twitter was, 
it sounds like the ones that are actually applying are the ones that may be more desperate and are no. actually looking for a job. Uh, no, you didn't hear me. Maybe, everybody we've hired, oh. everybody we've hired had a job when we hired them and weren't looking. looking. Okay, and would you agree that maybe there are lots of people that would be really good for that company that just don't want to jump through that hoop of having to read through all of that? No, no, because if they don't want to work, if they don't want to work before they get to me, they won't want to work when they get to me. They want to sit in the chair and get a paycheck. People tell you who they are when you're not looking and when there's no gun to their head. So uh, I want people who will work before I ever pay them, and if they don't want to work before I pay them, they will not want to work when I pay them. That's the definition of the difference between an employee and a stakeholder. Employees want a job. They don't mind coming to work. They just don't want to work when they get there, and they don't want to do that process when they go through the hiring process either. They want to sling resumes at email addresses, and uh, and I don't want that person anywhere near my company. Heck no, because that's an employee. Maureen? Do you have, are you still, Maureen, I still see you're still there. Do you have, you haven't said a word. You haven't even been whispering. Do you have anything, like she usually whispers, Chuck. <laughs> Do you have anything you'd like to say? No? Okay, maybe she's taking care of the kid. Chucky, I got to tell you, I could keep going for a while. What, what, I, here's what I liked about you. You didn't just talk about broad generalities. You started off your book, and the book is Why Employees Are Always Bad, Right. That's the title? My employees are always a bad idea. A bad idea, okay? And Chuck Blakeman is the author. What you did is you started off strategically. You started off making these broad historical uh, statements. You, at least you defined your terms, employee uh, versus stakeholder, industrialist versus capitalist. But then you actually spent a whole chapter telling us step-by-step how you do your recruiting, and I honed in on that at least because, like guys like Alejandro, guys like Mike, people like Maureen and me, we're actually hands on, and you could actually talk to us about what you do. I mean, I have, I took a big compliment, even if I don't agree with anything you do, which maybe <laughs> is true. I don't know. It's it's hard for us to to grasp what you're saying, but at least we have something to talk to you about. So. I so really appreciate that. Just real that. quickly, that's, that's, that's how you know someone has a real belief system because it actually affects everything they do. Otherwise, it's just woo-woo crap. Well, it's it's clear, just like uh, Michael said, it's clear that you have a well-defined belief system. The practicality is what's in question. Uh, it's unfortunate sure. because the, the the reality is is to implement the system that you've got going to do business with companies like that, I'd have a vanishingly small client list. Okay, but we're in a different yeah, position because we're external. You, Go ahead, sorry. You'd John. have a great you'd have a great client list as a result though, because you'd have companies like WL Gore, Semco, T D Industries, uh, Wegman's Groceries. Uh, they'd be people you'd love to work with. And by the way, this is very practical. Companies have been doing some of this kind of stuff. WL Gore is one of them for up to sixty years. This is not a new idea and it's not a fringe idea. All we're doing is, is recovering from the industrial age, which was a pimple on the face of business, and this is the clear sale. <laughs> Have you spoken, last question for real, Have you spoken at Sherm yet? You familiar with Sherm? No. I'm going to nope. send your name out to a, a few people. I think it'll be interesting for them. I don't think they'll have him. I, I think he's way better than Getty. You know what? They bring in celebrities like Hillary Clinton. What does she have to tell them? Stories about Big I agree. I, I agree. I just don't think that uh, that they would welcome some well, of these I'm viewpoints. Gonna see. I'm going to push it. I'm a nobody, but I know China Gorman. She's going to be my first stop. Chuck, if someone wants to get in touch with you, you're Chuck Blakeman on Twitter. You say that's the best place. Am I right? Or Chuck, yeah, Chuck Blakeman speaker. If they want to hear my noise in a workshop or a keynote or that kind of thing, and then I'm I'm an ink columnist. I do a monthly or a, a biweekly ink column That's on blog. That's how I came to you. Yes, I disagreed with you online, and then I invited you to the show, and your your PR person got in touch with me. So it's very nice. I'm ready to go. Are you ready? Finished here. Anything you want to say? Yeah. Last statement. No, I think I think we've. Uh, well, yeah, I would stop. I would just finish with this again. Culture, you don't create culture. You just simply live out what you believe. Thank you, Chuck Blackman! Oh, can't believe it!